And good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be around this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Well, we've got one heck of a show. Since this is a family show, you'll notice I've self-edited there. There's all kinds of heck breaking loose inside NASA over perseverance. And we're going to go through some of that this morning. We're going to give you new data, new analyses some stunning, and I use that term very advisedly, stunning new images. I mean, this is, this is one for the history books. This is, this is really something else. Anyway, some of our guests are not quite lined up yet, and there's images being loaded into radio with pictures, and there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So in the meantime, let me kind of catch you up on the news. Obviously, we're still you know, in the midst of this extraordinary, awful pandemic, over half a million people have died from this thing in the United States alone. And I know when I make that statement that there are people out there yelling at their radios or smartphones, oh, my, come on, it's a hoax, it's not real. We're working on getting together the right vaccine shows so that we can address this from a scientific and not political standpoint. And the reason I have item number one up there is because everything about this virus, if you haven't noticed yet, but it's different than any other virus we've ever dealt with in terms of symptomology, in terms of asymmetric, asymmetric, asymptomatic people. Well, they may also be asymmetric, asymptomatic people who carry the virus and spread it, but don't even know they have it unless they have a test, which, of course, have been in very short order. Anyway, the reason that that is up there tonight is because there now appears to be um, evidence that uh, even if you have the uh, vaccine, um, you may not be uh, protected from giving uh, the virus to someone else. And you'll see that in their answer to question number one. Does the vaccination completely prevent infection. And it says you can still get infected, but of course your chances of getting very seriously ill are very, very small. The The big question is, um, do you transmit, even if you're asymptomatic, to other people? And we don't know. I mean, really, there's very weird and conflicting data. And then there's the whole thing about the variants, which are, of course, mutations. And the virus itself genetically, um, for the research that I've looked into, is not natural. It was created by somebody, and you know my preferred model that came from upstairs, that someone has done this to us. And the events we see going on around the world is because, you know, behind the scenes secretly in those top security meetings, there is a consensus. That's why the world is kind of unified around this thing, even though the... uh, fake news and the lies and misinformation and the disinformation is flying thick and fast. Anyway, uh, take a look at that um, article. And the reason it's relevant to what we're going to talk about this morning is because um, of item number two. Now, for those of you who are new to the other side of midnight, you're obviously logged onto our homepage. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to hear us. If you're logged on to a phone somewhere to one of the call in lines, like in blog talk, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner, which says rather dramatically, Percy landed amid game-changing ancient Martian ruins. 
and NASA is visibly freaking out. And we will describe in exquisite detail the visibly part of that. Because unless you follow NASA, you might not have followed the bouncing ball on this, and it's very important that you do. So if you click on that banner, that will take you to tonight's guest page. And right under it, you'll see a whole bunch of you know, fast links to various items and then fast links to various bios of our participants tonight. Uh, click on my items. Click on Richard there. That takes you down to uh, my radio with pictures items. Item number two. I made this up back in November after many months of looking at this and looking and wondering if I was really seeing what I was seeing because I noticed and I was really resistant to thinking it was true that the deaths, I mean, there's all kinds of statistics on the web now, number of tests, number of people with the virus, number of hospitalizations, and unfortunately, the rising count of people dying of COVID-19. And again, there's always controversy around all this, so hang with me for a second. This graph I snapped and, and prepared in November, I tried to go into the same website, which is item number three, the um, uh, European equivalent of the CDC, which had this exquisite interactive graphic where you could put your cursor on any day of the year, going back to when all this started, which was, you know, over a year ago. And you could literally call up the stats for that particular day. Now, if you click on that link, number three, which is the source data for that graph in number two, you can't do that anymore. They only have posted the average curves, the seven-day average curves. Why seven? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Because if you look at number two, that graph, the deaths all over the world, this is a world total of every country reporting to their various medical authorities and then ultimately to the World Health Organization and to the European CDC and to the American CDC and a lot of other health institutions. It is blatantly obvious from this graph that every seven days there is an abrupt change in the number of people and down, up and down in a precisely resonant rhythmic period of seven days. And before some of you shouted your, uh, you know, smartphones, oh, that's just because, you know, it's tabulated in a week. No, that's easily eliminated because not every country, not every reporting station reports in the same time frame. And so it's, it's randomized reporting, but it comes out when you put the world together, which has never happened in the history of humankind, modern history. This has never happened to where we've been comparing data on a simultaneous medical emergency all over the world and all the data is feeding into central sources which where it can be displayed and you find this incredible rhythmic seven day periodicity which i like to think i was first or one of the first to notice i talked about it first i published first then i found there were some researchers uh virologists with the university of illinois and one from Israel who have looked at the same phenomenon and came to the same conclusion, although because they were academics, they couched it in very, very conservative terms. 
But the bottom line is, and I'm still working to get one of them on the on the air to talk to you about all this. This is real. This is a real phenomenon. So I stopped looking at that graph because it's very, very depressing. Uh, back about November. It's now February. When I went to the same European CDC site, remember, I did number three. It turns out they have totally discontinued the daily porting. And the interactive graph only clicks on the average, the seven-day average, which, of course, is useless. You're basically throwing away crucial, essential, vital, perhaps paradigm-changing information. Now, why did they change this? Why did they decide to do this? I think because they suddenly tumbled to what this graph was displaying, which is something absolutely unparalleled in medical history, unparalleled in medical science, unparalleled in any science. The idea that people on opposite sides of the planet are dying simultaneously at the same time and if we had a, a finer cut, if we had hour by hour by hour statistics for each day, <clears throat> would we find they're dying to the same hour and to the same minute? I mean, this is not trivial. This, this is world-class earth-shaking, and somebody decided to take it down. So you can't find these stats anymore unless you jump through a huge number of hoops so only those obsessive compulsives among us raise your hand see i'm raising my right hand here uh are able to find the data and given that i was doing this before the show this evening a few hours ago i did not have time missed all the other prep that we do for these shows to go and find where they buried this daily death reporting data it's out there somewhere but I did do a cursory search, and I did find that my old network – remember, I used to work for all four, ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN at one time in my career. NBC still carries the original daily death reports, except it's not a graph. It's what do they call those things. Uh, I, I guess it would be called a bar graph. <clears throat> and so the spikes are the deaths going up, and the – Black interleaving portions are where the deaths really, really, really go down. Look at that that peak on the right. The difference between the bottom and the top, the peak number of people dying on that day, and then the peak number of people dying just one day before is a factor of six to one. There is no amount of error human frailty, deliberate hoaxing, a con job, a pandemic, whatever you want to call it, there's no way that hoaxers are going to do that because it calls attention to the anomalies. When you're trying to get away with a con, and you can think of the pandemic model as the biggest con in history, you do not want to do something that calls attention to the details because, <clears throat> being very cliched, the devil is in the details. So, the fact that there are reporting sources still looking at these daily death counts and we're seeing this stunning change, literally one 24-hour period to the next, tells me something external 
to individuals in hospitals dying on ventilators is modulating globally on a planetary scale the rise and fall of daily COVID deaths. Now, the huge question that we do not have the resources to answer tonight, but hopefully someone somewhere will, unless the uh, fix is in and nobody really wants to have the answer to this question is, is this extraordinary seven-day incredibly metronomic rhythmic pattern only limited to people who are dying of COVID? Or does it apply to deaths from any cause, not accidents, obviously, car crashes and plane crashes and, you know, people falling out of windows and stuff like that, but to, quote, natural deaths or death from disease, is this modulation present in the world population of 7 billion people all the time? And if it is, how do people know when to die and when not to die? I mean, I've told you my personal story that Robin uh, left us, left this dimension, precisely at 6.30 a.m. on March 3rd, two years ago. We're coming up on, I can't believe it's two years. And she did it on the third day of March, which is, of course, the third month. So her dying had encapsulated within it a number of these hyperdimensional codes that we measured together in Mexico at Teotihuacan because with the Accutron at dawn, and I, I looked back and it was literally at dawn here on the 3rd of March when she died. Um, at dawn, I got extraordinary data on the Accutron, radical changes of frequency spikes and then it went back to background so at dawn something hyperdimensionally in the torsion field happens between the sun and earth if we had hourly data on these worldwide covid deaths would we see a preponderance of people on a given day all over the planet dying at sunrise at dawn and does this kind of leak into cultural mythos like, you know, prisoners hung or shot at dawn, um, battle groups, you know, charging the enemy at dawn, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, this is non-trivial. And the fact now that these official government agencies and even the so-called COVID tracking project, which was set up by Atlantic Magazine, who are intending to stop their tracking uh, on March 7th, exactly one year after they began, which I find crazy. I mean, we're, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, guys. Why are you stopping a critical information source to the general public? That makes no sense at all. They literally say, well, we've been at this a year. It's time to do something else. What? So a lot of people who are in, 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 involved deeply with this data are suddenly making the daily death count which is the ultimate reason we're interested in any of this at all. We want to keep people alive, keep them here if we can. They're literally making it difficult, if not impossible, to get this data. And the curious thing is, behavior has been reflected in the last week in our friendly local neighborhood space agency, 
NASA. They're doing exactly the same thing with the perseverance data and the briefings and the updates and all that to the media, to the American people, to the world that the COVID folks are doing with the daily death graphs. They're making it very difficult. And through this method of titration, which is a chemistry term, they are reducing the number of people who are able to see the perseverance data to a relative handful on a planet of billions of people, certainly with millions who are interested and are following the mission and have tuned in and have been very, very disappointed. Okay, moving on. Item number five is a, um, a story from the uh, – uh, let me see who actually published this. It's from the uh, Business Insider. It's kind of an appropriate summation with some really good imagery collected over the last week. It's kind of like a summation of where, where we are tonight in terms of perseverance. Um, but something very, very weird happened between – the Saturday night show we did just a week ago on Perseverance and tonight's show. Remember how I was really excited about the Monday morning press conference that NASA had advertised where they were going to dump all kinds of new data, new images. They had the EDL videos for the first time. We would actually see video of the landing, the parachutes popping, the heat shield falling away, the landing site coming up. And finally, the dust. we got all that, but we got it in a weird way because they canceled in the NASA schedule that press conference. And I looked and looked and I couldn't find it. Uh, one of our um, uh, esteemed members of the, of the crew, uh, a guy named Chris Rogers, you know who he is. He's doing our editing for the blog talk um, posting and the, the, the um, uh, land stations that carry the show. Um, he's also a very accomplished musician, you know, with several albums to his credit. Anyway, he sent me an email and just by chance, he was able to capture and, and listen to the briefing that had been on the schedule for Monday and which NASA had officially canceled, but they moved it like an hour so no one would find it. And they held it anyway. You know, it's like, you know, which one of those three cups on the street, three card Monty, and you move the cups around and wonder which one is the, you know, the peanut or whatever, and you get a 20 bucks, and you never win because the game is rigged. Well, NASA's rigging the game when it comes to perseverance. And that doesn't stop there. It turns out that they've done a whole bunch of things so that only the ultimate enthusiast who knows to go to the absolutely arcane website of raw images and wade through thousands that have been dumped over the last several days and picks out those they want to look at and has the wherewithal, the expertise to process them. Because these are raw images, right? The public and the media are used to finished products coming from NASA, updating on missions, new mosaics, new close-ups, new details, new science, new everything. And that information flow, except to the dedicated few obsessive compulses, raise your hand, please, um, who are really determined not to be stymied in following this mission. They're making it as difficult as possible to follow perseverance 
on Mars, and it's only been there a week. Now, this runs counter to everything I know from A, being a NASA consultant, B, being a, a consultant to all those TV networks that I talked about a few moments ago, being familiar with the politics of Washington, because remember, NASA serves at the pleasure of the Congress. Without Congress, there is no money. You know that old cliche, no bucks, no Buck Rogers? Well, every time there is a new mission and NASA has the attention of the American people for a few fleeting nanoseconds anymore, competing with all kinds of other news, you know, Trump, you know, impeachments, COVID, um, you know, legislation, all the, you know, Texas, look at what happened in Texas. You have to fight for every moment of airtime. And the idea that NASA would willingly just give this up, just forego excitement from the American people who, through their Congress representatives, will result ultimately in better budgets, you know, better missions, better everything. The fact that they would willingly give this up and frankly do something disastrous to their public image for those who are paying attention to the details makes absolutely no sense. Oh, it gets worse. It turns out, if those of you who have <clears throat> cable channels or satellite channels, that NASA provides freely to every satellite and cable system in the country a channel called NASA TV. It used to be called NASA Select, which has an arcane reason going back to you know the media days in the 60s and, and 50s when this started. Um, and they're the only government agency in the United States which has its own television network. And because of that, a lot of folks in Congress, under the rubric of, you know, waste, excuse me, waste, fraud, and abuse, would like to get rid of the NASA TV channel. They kind of look at it as, you know, um, you know, RT, except an Americanized version even though there are no politics in the NASA TV channel, it's basically, as one of the programs says, all things NASA. And you see launches and landings, and you see engineering backstories. You see them building Artemis. You see the construction of the rovers. There was a wonderful tutorial a couple, three days ago on the MassCamZ cameras. So they provide all kinds of information 24-7. They rerun it so you can you know, catch it at a convenient time or... You go to your cable or satellite system, you look at their electronic version of the old TV guide, and you simply bookmark the programs you want to record so you can look at them um, a, a, a synchronously uh, on your schedule as opposed to the tyranny of live television. That is up until Sunday night when the planned 2 p.m. Eastern Monday afternoon press conference on everything Perseverance had downlinked over the weekend was suddenly unceremoniously canceled. So it was suddenly withdrawn from this TV guide spreadsheet of future programs. And when you would try to record a given program on a given subject, because I've been recording everything now 24-7 on NASA to see what they're going to do, Everything is 
what was it that Vice President Biden said in Obama's ear? It's 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 a major foobar. Let's call it that. It's a foobar of megalithic proportions. And for those of you who don't know what foobar means, Google is your friend. Okay, so they are destroying their public image because now nobody can follow any programs on NASA TV. Everything is cattywampus, as my grandmother would have said. And by recording everything, you see how bad it is. And you, it's hard to retrieve because all the titles look the same in the little icons. You know, they're doing that deliberately, so nothing can be differentiated by, you know, the background graphics or whatever. In other words, they're really screwing up NASA television, which is their flagship. It's their bureaucratic face to the world. But more important, it's their public image to, again, the Congress of the United States, from which all NASA money ultimately derives. So why are they doing all this insane stuff, cutting off the information flow, stiff-arming people who are really following this brand-new amazing mission, totally lousing up NASA television so there are no briefings and you can't find anything, not even the reruns of the old briefings? Because my analysis says, having been a NASA consultant, having been around Washington for longer than I care to remember, this is marking time. Behind the scenes, they are literally running around, some of them, like chickens without heads. The sky is falling. The sky is falling because Perseverance landed in an ancient 30-mile-wide lake bed, and it's filled with artificial structures and ruins and foundations and buildings and massive structures and even evidence of greenish tints to the landscape that no amount of processing can get rid of because maybe the green stuff is chlorophyll and maybe under the lake where there's still water, there is some kind of current extant chlorophyll using biology in Yezero Crater and the NASA folks have no idea how to handle what they have landed in the middle of. And the public evidence of this, kind of like two kids wrestling on a bed under the sheets, you don't see what they're doing, but you see an elbow here bumping up and a leg there and a foot and all that, and you're trying to recreate what they're doing before you tell them, stop it. (laughs) NASA is freaking out, and we're seeing these tantalizing hints of incredible dissension in the ranks behind the scenes. It's like no one warned them the honest side of NASA, that this was going to happen. They didn't get the memo. And they're dissolving in our in our public view as a result. Now, how long can this go on? I don't know. That's why I'm taping NASA 24-7, day and night, and reviewing at 300 times, you know, frame speed, every single program to see when they straighten up the ship, when they fly right. Now, you would imagine that given that NASA are the folks that literally saved the crew of Apollo 13, you know, they've done amazing technological miracles, you would imagine that reprogramming their flagship television network would be pretty straightforward and trivial. So why, in a week, give or take, has it not been fixed? 
my answer will be coming at you on the other side of the break. So I want to prepare everybody tonight. I want you to buckle down. I want you to really, really pay attention to everything that we are saying because these times are not normal. So you shouldn't have done that. You're not normal at all. And in a democratic society where everybody has a point of view and political input and there's power structures and power centers and all kinds of other control mechanisms, it's looking tonight like the control mechanisms of NASA have broken down. And the best thing they can do is hide. Now, how long are they going to hide? I don't know. I mean, we're all going to find out together. And I'm going to talk about some amazing things they could be hiding from when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Do not touch that dial. Judy Mikovits, and I've really enjoyed being on the other side of the news radio show tonight with with Kinthea, Tim, and Anetta as well. It was really a great experience for me, and I think things like the other side of the news because we don't hear these things. I saw this horrific commercial on TV and I know them to have perpetrated fraud in vaccine court. So it's so important for radio shows like this to have discussions. And I really think these types of radio shows reach a very large audience and people are listening.
what I think has changed everything. I just really think it's important for people to be able to hear in depth and hear the kinds of discussions worldwide so that we can compare experience and really wake up and heal everyone. everyone to the other side of midnight for this Saturday night, February 27th, 2021. So is this going to be the year? Are we literally days or maybe a few weeks away from the most extraordinary modern announcement in the history of humankind that we are not alone? And that furthermore, we have an extraordinary history in the solar system on the planet Mars, that we can go with rocket ships like Elton John is uh, singing about. But the guy named Elon Musk is trying to lead us to, to verify with human eyes and human presence on the planet Mars that we, in fact, have an extraordinary history that someone for over 50 years including folks in our own space agency, have not wanted us to know. And now, something has changed. So let me tell you what has changed, all right? If you go back to Radio with Pictures... And you click on my items and you go down to, and let me make a few small changes here of my own. There we are. You want to go to item number, um, well, you want to go to item number six, first of all, because it turns out that we're not the only ones who have noticed this bizarre cessation of the data flow on the most important mission, the unmanned mission of of our time right now. And observers from as far away as Bulgaria are trying to figure out from the outside what the heck could be going on. And it's kind of amusing to read this because, remember, these are straight-laced mainstream people who would never imagine that NASA's secret name is never a straight answer. Uh, And they're proposing all kinds of so-called logical and rational explanations for everything being bollocksed up 
from, you know, here to uh, Timbuktu. In other words, they cannot imagine there is some kind of real suppression of information because NASA's caught on the horns of the Brookings dilemma. And so, you know, you might want to read that. Item number seven, um, this is where things get really interesting. Because if you click on item number seven, this is a comparison between the first color Hascam shot, which is when I knew we were in a different universe. And yes, Dorothy, no longer in Kansas. <laughs> because look at that blue sky. For the last 50 years, NASA has lied to us about the sky. You know, I was there at JPL in 76 when the Vikings landed and I was standing next to Carl, uh, that's Carl Sagan. And when the blue sky Viking image, the first color image, which we'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for them to process, when it was popped up on the screens, there was literal applause from the press standing around and the Japanese and the Germans and all the international reporters who were hanging on everything that was going on with Viking. And Sagan, in a loud kind of uh, you know auditorium kind of voice, he looked at the screen and he said, you know, I almost can expect an old prospector on a burrow to wander in stage left. And a few hours later, all those monitors had Mars turn blood red. And I've told you the story of the uh, son of one of the principal investigators on one of the Viking instruments who was a kid, a teenager, and he'd seen the first picture. So he um, tried to reestablish the correct color balance by going to every monitor uh, in the press room and in the cafeteria and in the places where the press could gather, and he made it blue again. And he literally got called to the principal's office, meaning the project manager, Jim Martin, called him up to the main control building and read him the riot act and said if he ever did something like that again, regardless of who his dad was, he would be ejected from the project. He was an intern. And it was that serious for NASA to begin the lie that the atmosphere of Mars and the surface of Mars and the rocks of Mars and the rills of Mars are totally, totally red. I mean, ugh. and then they turned it to butterscotch. You know, there was a whole period there where instead of being red, it was kind of like a deep, dark butterscotch and nothing can be seen. Nothing can be differentiated. All a con, all a lie made obvious by this first amazing Hascam color image. Okay, now I want you to look at the image on the left in this composite. This is a uh, robot, robotic camera view, digital camera, at about 100,000 feet by a guy named Felix Baumgartner, who was basically a daredevil. And he got Red Bull to fund him to the tune of several million dollars. And those things hanging above him on those struts, those are cameras, digital cameras, stills and motion pictures and all that, to document his effort to break Joseph Kittinger's record back in 1960 when Kittinger jumped out of a uh, balloon capsule, like a miniature spacecraft, at 100,000 feet and free-falled over, what, 100,000 feet to the ground, opening parachutes, landing safely, and the first time a human being had ever done this. 
So Baumgartner wanted to do it one better. So I picked the better picture because they had lousy photographs of Kittinger back then, but he's the guy who should be credited of doing this first. And he was a consultant on Baumgartner's Red Bull team. So the loop of history is closed. Anyway, we are told constantly, look, look back now at the right-hand picture. We've been told constantly that the atmosphere of Mars is so thin, it's like six millibars. It's equivalent to the atmospheric pressure and density at 100,000 feet over Earth. Now, here's the reveal. Look at the picture on the right. That's the surface of Mars from Perseverance shot a little over a week ago. Look at the picture on the left. That's Baumgartner at about 100,000 feet. And look at the sky. See where the atmosphere is, where it's hugging the curved surface of the planet? The sky on Earth at 100,000 feet with that density, that vanishingly small trace of air that's still present. That's why he's wearing the spacesuit. If he wasn't, he'd die in, in seconds. The sky is black. It's pitch black. It's not tan or butterscotch or green or blue or red. It's black because there's not enough air up there to support Rayleigh scattering. So you see it as anything but black. Question. How can the Mars surface atmosphere be the equivalent of the Earth's atmosphere at 100,000 feet? And yet, look at the right-hand picture again, support something that looks like it was shot here in New Mexico or in Arizona or anywhere else on Earth in a desert looking toward the mountains? The answer is it can't. So this raises another question. Is NASA freaking out because their lies on many different levels are about to be revealed? Okay, look at number eight. This is now a shot from Perseverance of the so-called sky crane when they cut the cables and it flew off. Look at the sky. It's looking straight up. It's blue, purplish. It's, it's, it's not tan. It's certainly not black. And yet it's supposed to be the density of Earth at 100,000 feet. So these are some really important reasons why NASA might be kind of freaking out because someone did the wrong thing and revealed the wrong information about the real Mars. And the honest guys are freaking out because they're realizing that they've been lied to, too. Okay, look at number nine. All right. This is an object photographed by Percy with the incredible MassCam Z cameras processed by a member of our team, Keith Laney who has one hell of a way with image processing algorithms. Look at this object. Actually, it's two objects. And it's hidden behind a ridge, which is in the foreground, with all kinds of other amazing objects. Well, we are surrounded by evidence like this. You can click on this. You can download it. You can take it into Photoshop. You can have fun with it. It's just amazing what you can see in this perseverance data and it has not even begun yet. This is just the beginning of a mission that could literally last for, you know, uh, maybe 10 years. I mean, Curiosity is still going strong after eight years. And it's powered by the same nuclear 
power source that uh, Perseverance is. So this is getting curiouser and curiouser and curiouser. Okay, number 10 uh, is a close-up of the bunker, as we kind of been calling this, uh, done by Ron Gerbron and myself. Number 11 is, is basically to pose the rhetorical question. This is now an MRO, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, look-down shot of the landing site in Jezero Crater, or Jezero, as Will said is the appropriate pronunciation last week. The green dot is the location of Percy, right below those two incredibly symmetric craters. And if you look even casually, there's all kinds of rhythmic geometry present all over this site. Just look to the about the seven o'clock position um, where the ruins kind of end and the flat plain begins. In other words, if you look closely, someone should have noticed all the geometry and said, if they wanted to continue the cover-up, oh, for God's sake, don't land there. You know, there's no way we can keep it secret if you land there. So, of course, they landed there. And is that the reason that nobody kind of, you know, wrote the memo, let alone got the memo? Or is there something else going on? And that's where we come to item number 12. Because remember, tonight, upstairs, orbiting Mars, even as Percy is sitting on the surface, even as there's this incredible internal dissension within NASA, which has caused them to pull in every appendage and curl up like an armadillo in a ball and just pray that it all goes away, it's not going to, is the fact that the Chinese are waiting in the wings. They are orbiting Mars every few hours. They have an orbiter, they have a lander, and they have a rover. And they also happen to have a totally separate government, which has not been very friendly to the West for many, many years, and who would probably gleefully, in the so-called honest model, love to show up NASA for having lied to us all these years. So is that the forcing function? Is that what's going on? You might want to read the story because, again, it's written from a very mainstream perspective as to why China uh, it really does want to tackle Mars and reveal what's there and become the leading superpower on the planet and all that normal geopolitical stuff that you hear about. Um, I leave you with this as a mystery. What is really going on? What is driving our space agency into a total, you know, freak out? behind the scenes, which is showing up in them doing things that no self-respecting government agency trying to interact with the Congress and the public would ever think of doing. And without further ado, I know I've taken up much too much time, but I wanted to give you the proper foundation for the evening's discussion with a roster of very interesting guests, starting with an old friend and colleague, Dr. John Brandenburg. You can read his entire bio there. John is a nuclear physicist He also works a lot with plasmas, which means he's bumped into torsion, even if he doesn't recognize it. You can see all the places he's worked and all the agencies he's worked for and the missions he's been part of. The thing that is really important to me is I picked John decades ago to be part of the first independent Mars investigation run by the then Mars mission which I converted to the Enterprise mission when it was clear that it was all involving something long, be, long you know, beyond Mars. And John was a member of our first 
team of investigators looking at Mars. And I asked him on the, the, uh, the panel uh, tonight as well as decades ago for one specific reason. When I, when I invited John to be part of the independent Mars investigation, I said to him, Dr. Brandenburg, I've noticed some really bizarre anomalies in the Viking isotope analysis of the Martian atmosphere. Is it possible that those isotopes are in fact due to an ancient nuclear war on Mars? And it took John a while, but he's written an amazing book, and he's going to talk to us tonight about updates to what the answer is in the book and now from behind the scenes. So that kind of sets John up to what he's going to be contributing. Uh, Our next guest is Andrew Curry. You know him as our resident um, artist, and he does amazing reconstructions of the artifacts and has some new things to share with us tonight in terms of this analysis. Uh, Bob Harrison is with us from Britain. Uh, Bob was a former keen investor who was able to pile a stash, retire early, and is now devoting full time to the anomalies on Mars and he has you know come up with some really interesting new data including what the bunker seen in those first Percy panoramas conceivably might be if you look at the landing site from orbit from Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter and then we have Ron Gerbron my friend colleague another generalist who we have been literally working all week to try to prepare some stuff here. Again, all these folks' bios are on the page, so I won't have to read them. Keith Morgan, of course, is with us. He used to be with Ted Koppel. He's now our um, specialist in IT and communications. Uh, Tim Saunders has joined us all the way from Turkey. He's a British national who has an incredible, passionate love for the sea, He's literally a marine architect. He designs ships, yachts, mega yachts, and he did some of the first three-dimensional modeling for us for the video, the briefing video, which was sent to the then president of the United States, uh, Don, Don, you know, Donald uh, Trump. So with that uh, as prologue, who wants to comment first about my political analysis of why NASA is dissolving into a puddle of jello tonight before our very eyes. Uh, you're all, so you're also adventurous. It's always so quiet. Yes. Okay. Well, I waited just to hear the quiet space. Okay. Who else is there? So. Uh, I'm. Uh, yeah. i As John, this is John Brandenburg again. Um, Bob, I was going to mention uh, that just like you were influenced by the pyramids of Elysium. Bob, are you there? Oh, well. Just anyway. unmuting. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. The bane yeah, of the 21st uh, yeah. century, I unmuting. Been, I had been studying, uh, you know, Sagan's book, Cosmos, and had been reading about the pyramids of Elysium the day before I saw the first pictures of the face on Mars, you know, the two different pictures uh, done by DiPietro Molinar. So that was a very important, um, you know, data point to me that suggested that uh, all may not, you know, that, that 
the narrative on Mars that it was a uh, always a dead planet like the moon <clears throat> was perhaps uh, a rush to judgment. But anyway, I will just simply say that in any cover-up like this, uh, which, you know, I've had Mars scientists tell me, yes, there is a cover-up on Mars, as if I didn't know it, <laughs> but they, you know, and, and uh, I will just say that Murphy's law indicates that all cover-ups must eventually end because suddenly um, they land in the wrong place on Mars. See, John, let me interrupt. I don't buy that for one nanosecond. You know why? Because we have exquisite reconnaissance. They've known exactly what's everywhere on Mars. There are ruins all over Mars. You can hardly land on Mars without running into a ruin. They deliberately picked an ancient lake bed which will have successive civilizations desperately following the water as Mars got worse and worse and worse and worse. So this was predictable. So why are they caught so flat-footed? Well, well, that's that's a good question. If they were, uh, this was all some part of some genius plan. How come it's uh, timing? Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. Is it, is it, yeah, it's timing. It's timing. It's timing. Yeah, they had a they had a schedule. God knows what it is. And I, for me, to me, I think it's the keep moving the goalposts schedule. But you know, they claimed to have a schedule, and somebody breached it. Hmm. Well, it had to be more than somebody because there's there's teams doing all this stuff. You don't get stuff posted on the web. You don't get press conferences called. You don't get you know NASA television slots without a huge army of people behind the scenes all cooperating to make these things seamlessly happen. And the system as a whole is obviously totally broken down. And the first rule in bureaucracy is never let them see you sweat, particularly when dollars are on the line vis-a-vis Congress. So why are they looking like really rank amateurs in every possible direction when the world is clamoring for more new Mars color images? Uh, the silence again. Well, <laughs> uh, well, I go ahead, Doctor Brandenburg. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll just say uh, the you know the the best laid plans of mice and men. Uh, Something happened that was uh, unplanned. Well, unplanned to yeah. whom? See, if we divide NASA into two tiers, which I've done for decades, remember I've said sure. it again and again, most of the system is honest meaning the folks that, uh-huh. are, that are running the cover-up behind the scenes was very tiny, very limited, and they never let anybody else know what was going on. And the data notwithstanding, uh, you could explain away most of the stuff we've been talking about if you simply don't have the eyes to see it. In other words, what the mind cannot imagine, the brain cannot conceptualize. And we see this again and again and again, Going back to that classic story from Sagan himself about the French ships that you know went into a harbor somewhere in the Northwest, and the Indians literally could not see the ships with the white sails, and until the guys in the long boats rowed ashore and walked up to them. I mean that could be apocryphal, yeah. but I'm based on my experience with a lot of so-called straight mainstream NASA folks. You look, you, t- you show them these pictures. They don't see a damn thing. 
not because well, they don't I'll want to, but because they literally can't see it. Yes, John, go ahead. I'll tell you a story I heard on the Clementine mission. They were talking about uh, the, the people running the Clementine mission were from the Navy, for the most part, the Naval Center for Space Technology at NRL. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the jokes, uh, we had some NASA people kind of along for the ride. It was a DOD mission launched from Vandenberg, just like the InSight mission, by the way, to Mars. And But anyway, they the the joke was that in hiring people for NASA, they would uh, ask them the test question that, you know, if you're sitting in a lab next to a fire extinguisher and a fire breaks out on a nearby experimental table, what do you do? And, uh, you know, the answer of some people was just to grab the fire extinguisher and put out the fire. And uh, that was the wrong answer, as it turns out. The right answer was to find the manual of standard operating procedure. (laughs) (laughs) And and consult the, the manual before doing anything. Which is a rigid bureaucracy. So they pre-select people to to work. They don't hire people to uh, act spontaneously or heroically. See, there's a model out there, Ron, hint, hint, that says that since NASA is hired a whole bunch of millennials, when you look at the video of the landing, they're all basically kids. And this model says that you can't control millennials and they're just, you know, loused up the system because they see what's there and they're just, you know, kind of straining at the bit to tell the truth. <clears throat> and my answer is, if they did anything as dumb and stupid as that, they'd be out in a nanosecond. They would never get another job in aerospace, and they would be forbidden forever from having access to the candy store where the really good stuff that they spent their entire lives in education getting ready to be part of, they'd never be part of it again, and that's the control it's self-control because the downside is you never get to be on the inside anymore. Well, there is evidence for that. Evidence for what? I mean, well, I one, uh, yeah, millennials they may be, but I, I, I think they're mostly adults. Not only do some of us, like myself, that uh, they're all a bunch of kids. But uh, the uh, panoramas that came out uh, from them so quickly – you know, we were all amazed how fast they came out. And you and I both noticed they're, they're sloppy. Yeah, hang on a second. Now, they don't... Hang on, hang on. We, we're at the top of the hour. We have to take a break. Okay. Otherwise, Ooh, a... Fred will get unhappy. And you wonder who that's Fred is. Season. I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay. You're on the other side of midnight. We're talking about a mystery. Is NASA about to come clean? Are we about to finally get the panoply of everything that's been there? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, science is nothing if it's not prediction. And as of tonight, based on what's going on, the only thing I can predict for NASA is they are between the proverbial rock and a hard place. The rock, of course, is that they somehow make this all go away. Kind of impossible when you have teams all over the world and the public is watching and the photographs are out there. The blue sky is out there. That thing over the hill, the bunker, it, wait till you see the rest of the stuff that our guys have found. The alternative is that they somehow between now and May or June 
when the Chinese are supposed to land, they somehow come clean. They somehow say, oh my God, look at that. We didn't know this was here. And what do you think the public will believe? And is it really important? Does the public care about process? Does the public have a memory? Do they realize that there's been this 20, 30-year debate over what's on Mars, the face, Sidonia, all the stuff that I've devoted most of my professional life to trying to figure out? I would say probably not, that they actually might get away with it. And Kintia, you can edit out a little beforehand so that we fit this within the time frame. But it's important to give a background because within the foreseeable future, what we've all been waiting for, praying for, wishing for, desperately hoping for, could in fact come true. And you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.